Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Cityco, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Cityco, and we're back to revisit the issue of rough sleeping. This time I'm talking to Ivan Lewis MP and Councillor Beth Knowles, who are leading on Mayor Andy Burnham's pledge to end rough sleeping by 2020. So to start with the broad brush, why has homelessness and rough sleeping increased so much in the past two or three years? I don't think there's um, there's one single issue. Somebody asked me this morning what the, what the single biggest issue was that led to homelessness, and I said the single biggest issue is there's no single biggest issue. Um, the the safety net fragmenting, um, societal safety net fragmenting is is the the biggest issue. Welfare reform, private rent going up exponentially, and people being um, forced out of their homes. That's the number one reason this year for people presenting as homeless. Um, at the same time as cuts to local government, cuts to national government services. And then added pressure from um, from employment, from family, from, from breakdown of family relationships, all means that people don't have a trampoline or a safety net to fall into. They fall out instead onto the streets or onto people's sofas or into substandard accommodation. Um, and our ability to be able to cope with that has um, been pulled apart. And is the situation getting worse? I think if you ask people who work in Manchester, particularly people who live in Manchester, they would say it is. And I think that the numbers are certainly going up. Um, I think what's really important is to understand, though, that Andy Burnham does have a plan and a strategy that myself and Beth have been working on. But also people need to... There's always a time lag between putting in place ideas and then delivery. So I think in the short term, what people will see is a continued growth, uh, certainly a stabilisation, probably not a reduction, uh, and we have two challenges. One is um, over the next few months when it gets really cold and in the winter, we need help from businesses and others uh, to support people get through that. But then if you look at the next 12 and 18 months and the commitments that we've got, uh, central government funding, charitable foundations, philanthropists, that we believe we will have more accommodation in Greater Manchester available than there are uh, people rough sleeping. So we do believe in the next 12 to 18 months, people will start to see a really big tangible change. And is, is that the same for what we might, might call classic homelessness? So, so families with children who are in temporary accommodation and the rough sleepers that people will see on the streets of uh, the city centre? So there's a, well, two different but interlinked issues, isn't it? It's rough sleeping and homelessness, as I'm, I'm sure you know, and, and, and know you explored in, in kind of a previous podcast. Is the, so we have a, a three-year commitment to end rough sleeping, which is mostly around single homelessness um, and the provision for that. And then there's a 10-year strategy, which Andy announced a couple of months ago, which will be a reduction and prevention strategy. So longer term for families um, around substandard, unsupported temporary accommodation um, and on rebuilding supported housing and supported provision and a variety of different recovery models as well, um, so tying into drug and alcohol abuse and various traumas that, that force people to become homeless. So there's a we've we've kind of we've almost got two jobs. That's why we're that leads for homelessness and rough sleeping. It's, it's two, two jobs really. Um, I, like, I like doing more than one job. Um, and uh, that that ten year strategy we're we're going to start scoping from next month, and that will look at youth homelessness. Um, it will look at uh, drug and alcohol strategies. It will look at prevention strategies, and that allows us to bring in a variety of different national and local experts to be able to look at what we can do to stop people falling into homelessness in in the first place. Um, so the provision we're looking at immediately is the most immediate and urgent need, which is people who are rough sleeping and, are, and the people you you see day to day. But then on, that's the tip of the iceberg. So it's our job longer term to look at what the rest of that picture looks like. Presumably first, you've got to stop the problem increasing and expanding before you can actually start to roll it back. And the issue for the next three months, four months, five months, as it's particularly cold, is 
the numbers we know that on the streets particularly are going to go up. Um, so actually trying to stem those increases as people come in from neighbouring boroughs and outlying boroughs, there's an acute problem there. Um, never mind before you get to the chronic problem longer term. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that Andy's called this summit meeting for the 6th of October to bring people around a table, public sector, private sector, third sector in Greater Manchester to say, um, you know, yes, progress is being made. Yes, we have a plan and we, we do for the first time in terms of a Greater Manchester wide plan. Um, but, you know, there is a short term uh, crisis. We have this every year. Uh, but we have a particular responsibility uh, as it gets colder uh, to make sure that we combine our resources uh, and do everything we can to, to support people during that, uh, during that period. Now, Manchester seems to have developed a reputation as being particularly badly affected. And how, how do you think it compares to other cities? Well, I think I talked to colleagues, parliamentary colleagues, I'm a member of parliament, obviously in my spare time uh, for Berry South. But do you I, have I, any time to do that? Uh, uh, well, it's, um, it, you know, it's very important to my constituency issue of rough sleeping and homelessness as well. Uh, and what they will say is that in the big cities, uh, this is a problem everywhere. I think, to be fair, what we've got here that's very important is we've always had really passionate, radical people working on the front line trying to do something about this. We have a major uh, public concern. Uh, and also here, we have people with lived experience of homelessness advising us what to do. What we haven't necessarily had is a senior politician saying, this is one of the most important issues to me. And that doesn't mean that councils don't care about it. It just means the most senior politician in Greater Manchester, the elected mayor, has said, uh, rough sleeping and homelessness is going to be one of my top priorities. Now, if you have all the things that I've described and political will, the sky's the limit, in my view, in terms of what you can achieve. Now, we need resources. And if you look at the money that we believe is likely to come in the very near future from the Department for Communities and Local Government, as I said earlier, philanthropic money, charitable foundation money, I believe there's absolutely no doubt in the next uh, 12 to 18 months we will have more units of accommodation than people rough sleeping in Manchester. But the point that Beth made that's really important is if you just have the buildings, the accommodation, and you don't have the support services, many of those people will be back on the streets or others will be on the streets replacing the people that we've managed to house. So the mental health services, the drugs and alcohol uh, uh, services, the access to employment you know what we want to send a message to businesses in greater manchester is uh, we actually one of the things we're exploring is the idea of businesses adopting individuals so you get to know a person you look at their needs holistically uh, and if um, one of those needs for example is skills development is training leading to employment we very much like to see a new partnership with employers on that basis uh, we're talking to one of the uh, major restaurant uh, f and b owners in the, in the city this morning is obviously whose business is affected by rough sleeping. He will have beggars outside and he will have people sleeping in, in his doorways. But actually he's very interested in, okay, how can we work with people who are rough sleepers, ex-rough ex sleepers? The real problem they've got, of course, is they need the support structure around them. They can't afford as a business, even quite a large business, to be providing that support structure and, and possibly somebody who's slightly disassociated or has substance issues in kitchens is not necessarily a good idea without that support structure. So it's putting all that stuff in place is really, really important. Yeah, and it exists already. This is you know, what we found more than anything in the, in the work we've been doing over the past few months is that you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, just draw the spokes in and it'll, it'll drive itself. Oh, it's a great metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, so Pret, for example, Pret and Manje, uh, 5 to 10% of their workforce have previously been homeless or in, in, in and out of um, probation services and, and the justice system. Um, 
they work with local day centres, they work with the booth centre on an employment programme. So they'll refer people to Pret who are ready to, to move into the world of work and then they'll, they'll it's, a, it's a partnership approach. So Pret have a flexible approach also, so they'll give someone a deposit when they first start working to buy clothes. They'll um, give them money to be able to come into work for the first month and they'll be a little bit flexible on whether people turn up 100% on time or not because you need to have that flexibility. We, we're asking for that flexibility from housing providers and the same needs to come from employers, but we need to be able ask what they need and, and be able to provide that on the other side as well and not just expect them to um, turn their pockets out and there you go, easy yeah, one answer. Of, one of the things we talked about in the, in the first podcast was that issue with uh, housing providers and hostel providers that yes, there could be accommodation, but that actually if you were drunk or if you had a dog or if you had any other issues, or you, you would, or both, yeah, you'd, you'd get thrown out. Drunk so dog it's, even. it's that flexibility that is, that is, is that coming in more? Are we seeing more people taking that sort of attitude? Um, housing providers are coming to us and asking us to, um, to to convene them. This is, you know, the soft power that we talk about is we can bring people around the same table and say, we'd like you to all do X, Y, and Z. One of the, one of the most contentious ones is, is taking people in who have rent arrears. If somebody has one, two months rent arrears, a considerable amount of providers can't take them in under their current legislation. Well, that's relatively easier than you'd think to just say well you give somebody a second or a third chance and we know we're asking people for second third fourth fifth chances but that's what we need to do as a city region so i mean personally how have you been affected by the growth in rough sleeping why is it a resonant issue for each of you well i guess um for me um there are there are two elements to this first of all um andy asked me said to me what do you want to do in greater manchester um, I stood against him for the Labour nomination and I lost. Um, but I, my, I'm a Man City fan, he's an Everton fan, so I've got my own back since then. Um, seriously though, so he asked me what I wanted to do. I said that I really cared passionately about that it was outrageous that in the 21st century there were people on the streets. Uh, I knew that Beth um, was working on the front line with those organisations on a day-to-day -day basis because she's a city centre councillor. And I said to him, I thought it'd be a good idea if we teamed up and did this uh, as a partnership. Uh, he appointed us. And for me, I suppose the most powerful thing, inevitably, is sitting and chatting to people who are either rough sleeping now or who have lived experience of rough sleeping. And one of the things that Beth has taught, I think, me and others, as others on the front line have said, is they are the experts. The people themselves who have experience of, um, you know, sleeping rough or being homelessness, homeless, we need to listen to them as we design our responses. And we need to understand they are the best place to advise us. And, and what's very exciting about what's happening here in Greater Manchester is we are putting them at the heart of this for the first time. So that's really important. The second issue is I um, did some research into my own family background. I knew that my grandma uh, had lived most of her life with serious mental health problems. I then found out something that, to be honest, has shocked me. And I found out that, you know, in the 1960s, uh, there was a woman and two kids found in a park in Manchester and the policeman said you can sleep in this park lady but those two kids are not sleeping in that park they were taken into care I found out that they're my mum's brother and sister and that lady was my grandma and I then found out that she'd rough slept for the best part of a decade now if somebody looks at a member of parliament they don't go oh it's likely that one member of their family had been a rough sleeper so what it also shows you as well as making me incredibly passionate and driven and determined, it, it shows you that this can happen to, to, to anybody who, who can fall in, you know, into difficult circumstances. She uh, lost her first husband, killed in the war. A uh, second partner was then killed in the war. No wonder she developed mental health problems, you know? And so it can happen to any of us is the message, really. And you, Beth? 
Um, well, as Ivan said, I, I picked, picked the issue up as what, as far as I was concerned, the, the biggest issue in my ward when I was elected um, nearly four years ago. Um, so as a city centre councillor, was the obvious numbers of people rough sleeping um, was visual beyond anything else. I didn't need any evidence. I could see it. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, you're a resident of mine if you're spending the night in the city centre, whether you're housed or not. Um, and that's uh, as, as far as I was concerned, it was my duty as a as an as an elected official in the city centre to be to be working on it. Um, and it was it, then working with the Booth Centre and Mustard Tree and all the other day centres and the provision in the city was just I'd realised how much pressure they were under, um, and the phenomenally resilient um, and powerful people that the, that they worked with on a daily basis that had the answers and were coming to us because they didn't want it to happen to anybody else. Well, you have a responsibility in politics to listen. Um, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason you're supposed to listen twice as hard as you speak um so that was a good one liner <laughs> i think i think one of the things you talk about ivan there was the that this notion of co-production and, and co-creation with people who have the, the lived experience which mm. is obviously at the core of everything so um that's happening in manchester um what are the uh, the, the pleasures of doing it that way and what are the pitfalls of, of doing it that way um, the pitfalls first are uh, it takes seven, eight times as long to do something as it, as it would do otherwise um, but it means you don't have to do it again so in the long term you, you save time um, and uh, not everybody's along from the ride, for the ride from the beginning um, it takes a lot of coercion and convincing um, especially from, from places where people haven't worked like that before um, and the pleasures are that it's, a, it's how things should be done there's a, um, my, my background is in international development and that's how we've been doing things for decades in international development is you work with people on the ground and ask them what they would like to do to be able to solve their own problems and you work with people, not for them um, or on their behalf. It's a, um, we have an opportunity under de devolution to be able to scale that approach up outside of homelessness. It shouldn't just be operating in one sphere. Um, and the, I'm, I get to work with the most brilliant people in the city every day because of it. That's a, a huge pleasure and a privilege at the same time. I'd say, you know, businesses need to know their customers and their clients, don't they? If, if you're a business and you don't know your customers and your clients, you've probably got out of business, I would reckon. Um, you know, and yet we've never applied the same principles often in the way we look at public services. And I think that um, my background is I worked in the uh, 90s with people with learning disabilities, uh, with mental handicap, etc., who were resettled from long-stay, horrible institutions into the community. And we spent a lot of time saying these people deserve to be treated as equal citizens, supported to fulfil their potential, and we need to listen to them. Uh, just because they have learning disabilities doesn't mean that they can't articulate what their lives have been like and what they want for their futures. So... It is uh, very, very different. But it's actually, I mean, Beth, right, it, it, it's not just, by the way, the people with lived experience. It's the frontline workers as well. If, if you want to change public services, I think that one of the things we've got wrong in the past, I can say this as a politician who served in the Blair and Brown governments, is this sort of top-down, imposed-on-people set of targets. Well, you need targets, you need objectives, but you need to develop all of that with people, not do it to people. So, so the co-production thing is, is not just about the people with lived experience, it's also about saying that frontline workers uh, often know more than anybody about what most needs to change. So it's that, it's that combination together with political will and public pressure. You know, there is undoubtedly in, in Manchester and Greater Manchester public outrage 
at the fact there are so many people living on the streets. It unites people of all classes and backgrounds, I think. And most people are decent about it. They don't brand people or label people or condemn people or scapegoat people. So there's a big opportunity here. And I, and I think what I, businesses, you know, listening to this, are going to probably say, we've heard all of this before. Maybe there's a lot of rhetoric. You know, why should we trust them, they're politicians? I mean, I'm sure the odd business person may think like that. I want them to know that both Andy and ourselves will be judged on delivery. And delivery means minimising the number of people that are rough sleeping on the streets of Greater Manchester uh, by 2020 and making a lot of progress on that over the next uh, 18 months. I think that um, one thing that we've seen and, and talked to Beth about this before is a huge change in the last three, four years uh, in the attitude of businesses. Um, I think it's been, you know, you have moved from a situation where uh, no Manchester business tried to put down homeless spikes, but um, maybe some landlords who were based elsewhere did, um, but where there was an attitude of uh, intolerance and just, just clear this away and, and we'll forget about it all. Um, we are now in a position where certainly when we talk to the retailers in the business improvement district and, and the F&B industries and so on, they're actually, yes, they do have issues when somebody is sleeping rough in, in their doorways or whatever, but actually they're much more interested, they're much more aware that they are part of a community, they're much more interested in, in helping solve those issues. It, there, there, there has been a fundamental change, and I think we've seen you know, the number of uh, restaurants that have signed up to not just soup and, and to those sort of campaigns is phenomenal, really, and probably far more than anybody expects and actually becomes a, a resource issue in itself because managing all those requ requests for donations become, becomes very difficult. But I think that, that's fascinating to see that fundamental change. I can remember when I started here seven years ago and we started talking to people about, you know, could you, as cuts come, could you wash outside your forecourt? And I'm just going, well, rates pay for that, rates pay for that. It's not something you ever hear anymore. Uh, and that, that does seem to be a fundamental change and possibly a good thing that's come out of the reduction in public services that other people have tried to step up. Yeah, I, I, that's um, we, we have we have the same issue <laughs> trying to handle um, the the amount of requests to, to help um, rather than uh, rather than the other way around. Um, and I think it's the it's, it's around social responsibility, isn't it? I think people have changed their attitude to corporate social responsibility. So, oh, we'll go and paint a community centre, and f once a year, and forget about the the long term impacts of it. Of uh, to we're advocates and we're citizens, and we want to be able to make a long term difference. There's a homelessness I think we have got the message across finally that homelessness isn't one issue in a silo it's it's poverty it's what happens to you at the end of everything else failing um and that's I think I think I, I don't know whether this is a national trend or whether it's greater Manchester as well I think that um sense of of social justice and that sense of um city identity is a is, is possibly a greater mancunian um thing i don't think we're the only city but it's a the, the spirit in greater manchester is that everybody pitches in um and i think that's a message that's come from from city come from the business community from the councils from the voluntary sector from um individual activists so people have been speaking with one voice and saying well we all need to work together on it don't we because there's a million different things to do I think, I think it's interesting when you talk to other cities and we get a lot of calls from other cities about what we're doing. You know, it's very easy to be uh, slightly navel-gazing and slightly negative about things, particularly when you walk around the streets and, and, and sometimes see what's going on. But actually, um, we are, just as we were possibly the first to start getting into the new um, situation, we are 
well advanced compared to other cities in trying to find the solutions. You know, other cities don't have things like the homelessness charter and the homelessness partnership, and they're trying trying to copy it, uh, which probably doesn't make us feel any better. But it, it, it possibly we shouldn't be feel as negative as we sometimes do when faced with that that wall of the problem. Um, I mean, I think. You, you talk about, I mean, particularly with the rough sleeping in the city centre, it is such a mass of different issues that relates to one person or certainly to numbers of people that, are, that are, are out there. How, in terms of the mayor's team working on that, how do you start to unpick that and then put it back together in, in terms of uh, practical solutions? I, I'd say that there are, uh, there's going to be, I think, a development in the next month or so which will make, I think, potentially a, a really transformational difference, a couple of developments. So the first thing is the government requires every local authority to do a head count of rough sleepers once a year. In my view, it's a flawed, bogus exercise, okay? It happens at one time, once a year, and that gives you your data. It, it, it's ridiculous. What we intend to do is um, create a, a situation where we have uh, not just a head count, but we go out in the streets of each of the ten parts of Greater Manchester and we get to know each individual, and we build up a profile of that person, why they're there, what their challenges are, what their aspirations and hopes are, what would persuade them um, that there's something better. Um, and then we uh, offer a tailored custard, custom, not custard, tailored custard cream, um, a tailored customised response to each individual, depending on what the issues and challenges are. And that requires, by the way, um, councils, the third set, and business to come together and look at, and, and look at this holistic response. So it's a personalised approach, very important. There are three big pitch elements to our strategy. Respite, you get people safe, you get them stable, you get them off the street. Secondly is recovery, supporting them with whatever the challenges are that have led to the situation in the first place, mental health, drugs and alcohol relationships, whatever, childhood abuse, you know, trauma. And then finally, reconnection. What does reconnection mean? It means reconnecting people with uh, the world of work where appropriate. It means reconnecting people with the arts, which Beth has been involved in a lot in. Community, neighbourhoods, families, reconnecting people with a sense of identity. Um, but it has to be a very personalised approach. Now, uh, we've been successful in securing a significant amount of money for what's called a social investment bond. Uh, and we're, we're at the moment, uh, Greater Manchester-wise, tendering for the provider that will be responsible. And what, how that will work is whoever wins the bid uh, from October will be going out onto the streets of Manchester and Greater Manchester and getting to know individuals. They will then have a responsibility as part of the contract they've been awarded to find those people appropriate accommodation and support. And the business will, I think, particularly be interested in the next bit, which is its performance related. So the reward for the provider depends on whether you are successful and whether that success to some extent is sustainable as well. Because what you don't want is people just to take somebody off the street you know, for a few days, get paid, and then the person's back on the street. Now, that will start to have potentially quite a big effect uh, in the next six to uh, six months, perhaps. And are we at the point where there is enough accommodation now? I mean, you talked about in the future. I, I, I am shocked. Look, I, I've been involved in this only for eight months. And uh, what the reality is, when you go out on the streets with the outreach workers, the guys are on the front line, they will say to you time and time again, no, we know all these guys. We talk to them, and most of them don't want to be on the street, by the way. That's another myth, you know, they're all beggars and they want to be... Nonsense. 
We just don't have the resources. We don't have either the accommodation or the support services. And I think we should mention at this point how businesses can help is also the mayor's fund. You know, I think, again, politicians get a stick, quite rightly. Andy Burnham set up a mayor's homelessness fund. He's put 15% of his own salary on an ongoing basis into this fund. And the reason why the fund's incredibly important is this. We can probably end up with more units than rough sleepers in the next 12 to 18 months via government money, philanthropy and charity foundations. But if alongside that we don't have the support services, uh, some of which will have to be funded via the fund in an age of austerity where services are being slashed and burned, you know, central government's imposing courts, local authorities having to make difficult decisions. We've got to also have those support services. Yeah, and I think what you were saying in terms of the mayoral team picking... Uh, uh, Picking up, picking up, and picking apart um, the, the problems and solutions. I, we've um, it's not just us um, as, as well, <laughs> which is uh, two people working means I can sleep at night occasionally. Um, yeah, so it's we have a we're starting to build a, a mayoral homelessness team um, as well. So it's it's the, the two of us with um, local and national government experience, and then um, there's we have a strategic lead who has a wealth of housing experience, decades of, of housing provider experience, um, and we have um, two officers who have similar local authority housing backgrounds. But then we we've asked for um, staff, we've been offered staff from um, health as well, uh, from the Department for Work and Pensions, and hopefully from Justice as well. And there'll be somebody from lived experience who has lived experience of the justice system and of, of homelessness as well um and they'll so they'll start to knit together that safety net that i was talking about earlier so what's fragmented and what's been picked apart we're hoping to stitch back together and so the opportunity that devolution can provide as well at the same time is that we all sit around the same table and work on the same thing um is there an issue or, or how are you handling the issue that um, actually, when you have this this provider who, who, who's won the bid um, and the contract will be on the streets in lo local authorities who also have their own homeless teams, and how is that going to work with sort of the local authority teams? I mean, basically, um, the local authority, all 10 local authorities have signed up to the bid that led to us getting the social investment bond. The other negotiations that are taking place with government at the moment are about a trailblazer for three hubs to offer accommodation to rough sleepers in three different parts of Greater Manchester, and also a significant amount of resource for something called Housing First. All of those projects, each of the ten authorities had to sign up to a Greater Manchester-wide approach. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, we are very dependent for delivery obviously, on each of those local authorities. And they are doing, many of them doing some really innovative and imaginative uh, work that's incredibly important. But they also need assistance and support with dealing with this new, you know, this big challenge. The Homelessness Reduction Act has been brought, has been passed in Parliament. Uh, local authorities are being required to deliver on that. Uh, obviously, there is some more resource for that, but it's inadequate, most people uh, believe. So we have to see this in the end, uh, as a partnership. And, and that's incredibly important uh, to us. But there's, uh, in a way, what's happened, I think, is there is an understanding that a number of the people on the streets of Manchester are not from Manchester. Well, they could be from anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world. But also many of them are from other parts of uh, Greater Manchester. There are rules uh, about what people are eligible to receive and not receive, which are based on where you live or where you used to live. So there's a lot of obstacles and barriers where actually looking at things from a local authority by local authority perspective gets in the way of us delivering, uh, delivering for people. So, you know, there's always tensions. Um, let's be very frank. Um, but there is also this, I think, very big passion and commitment 
to recognising that uh, we, we want together to achieve Andy's commitment, which is to end rural sleeping uh, in Greater Manchester within three years by 2020. And when we're looking at the, the other boroughs away from the city centre, um, I mean, we, we know the situation very well in Manchester city centre and, and to some extent in Salford as well. I mean, what, what's happening in the other towns? Um, I think there's, a, there's less of an, an obvious um, issue in, in the other town centres, but we're, we've just been up to Rochdale today. We've been in, we're in Trafford um, earlier in the week, and it's an increasing um, problem. We've just, we've just had a, a young person's organisation um, speak to us in, in Rochdale and say there's, there's more and more people appearing in, dotted about in all kinds of town centres that you've not even heard of, um, from Bury to Rochdale to, to Oldham. Um, and that's... Uh, so that at the same time needs to be mitigated but um <laughs> what we're talking about was what the situation is in, in other townships in the other towns around uh, is it is, is it's it is, basically is it getting worse it's, 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 it's basically it's definitely getting worse it's um it's a patchy um situation it's variable i think every local authority would say that it's um getting getting worse the critical mass of people, clearly the impact, um, is much greater in the city centre. You know, everybody, I think, would acknowledge, uh, acknowledge that. But also, this needs to be a shared responsibility. Uh, and it's not necessarily healthy, for example, if all homelessness and rough sleeping provision that's developed in the future is a conglomerate around the city centre and, you know, is border with Salford, then that wouldn't be... Um, yeah, so I was going to say, so it's not just a, a worse picture in, in other boroughs, it's also um, there's best practice hidden underneath the surface as well. So we were up in Bolton earlier in the week and um, they have health teams doing their street outreach. Um, so if you wander in and around Bolton Town Centre, there's maybe four or five people that you can see either rough sleeping or, or, or begging. But they, um, they've had, uh, there's, there's trust issues with the, the council and housing providers just and, and the police especially, whether they're, they're right or not. There's trust issues with whether people will um, engage or not. So they have nurses go around and housing providers. So the nurses provide immediate care and then take people into clinics to engage further in services and then into day centres and then along the, the housing journey and the journey out of, of homelessness from there. Um, so there's, the, the problem's increasingly worse across multiple town centres but there's also opportunities to be able to scale up practice like that um, there's that's an easy thing to take to Salford to take to Trafford to take to wherever um, for businesses who are listening um, what can they do if they're seeing people sleeping rough um, I think that there's a number of things I, I, this idea and it's a really, it's not you know unique but it's a new idea to develop is adopt somebody take a personal interest form a relationship with somebody right don't give them money Form a relationship with them. Find out what they need. Find out whether there's anything practical that either individuals working for that business or the business as an entity can do. I think that that's really... Form a relationship. Find out what the obstacles and the barriers are. And if you can help that person, please do so. In, and work with public, you know, public services as well where, where, uh, where appropriate. I think there's also, you know, during the winter, we're going to need um, buildings. So we need support with physical environment in the end to keep, get people out of the cold. Yeah? So that uh, anybody who has uh, buildings available or space and capacity available that they can offer us assistance, that would be really uh, appreciated. I think also we are looking for business people who want to donate to Andy's Homelessness Fund. As I say, to be clear, um, that money will largely be used on uh, ensuring that the support services that are necessary are there because if they're not there as i say people will end up 
uh, back on the streets. So those are some of the ways that uh, businesses can can assist. People have been doing some brilliant stuff already. There's um, the Tower Gate Group um, put on a fundraising day a couple of weeks ago and said this is this is the first thing we want to do, not the last. So they're going to be helping us with the um, with the counting exercise as well and training their staff up on engaging with people on the streets. And they see that as a, a long term commitment um, to the Mayor's Homelessness Fund, not just financial. So people become advocates as well. It's not just about um, about the money you give; it's the uh, the time you give as well. Um, and there's things like the ab sale off of City Tower, which multiple businesses are getting involved in. I think more now it's been postponed for health and safety reasons um, till the spring. Delighted um, to tell everybody <laughs> listening that Beth has agreed to do this with Andy Burnham. Yeah, um, yeah so there's, there's lots of different things that, that people have done and, and are doing and, and looking at what you can do as, a, as an employer as well and that kind of that flexible approach and if people want to get involved in that respect they can they can get in touch with us. We're kind of obviously contactable um, via many different forms but including through CityCo if people want to chat about what they can, they can do specifically and thinking about the pro bono work they could do also. Our PR and comms are going to be done almost entirely pro bono and by Viva and people like Reason Digital and things like that. I think that's really important. I mean, the other thing is that we are very clear that we don't want to, you know, people talk about, well, when you build these hostels, we're not building hostels. We're not going back to the 1950s, 60s, or 70s. You wouldn't want your family member living in a hostel, would you? So we want to build decent facilities for people. So if there are architects and designers and creative people, and people with that sort of expertise, surveyors would be delighted to hear from them. Okay. And then when you've you are helping people and you've, you've found them accommodation and they're in, engaging with services. Um, how do we put in place something that's going to ensure that we don't get back to this position? Because austerity cuts are going to con presumably continue. Um, it's likely that money that is coming to solve this issue is probably going to come to an end sooner or later, or sooner, possibly, rather than later. Um, so how do we actually step out of this cycle? I, I think it's about the opportunities devolution can provide and have it a progressive city region rather than um, just allowing um, austerity to take effect and, and not have any control over it. It's having self-control over our over our own city and, and townships. That's the that will make the biggest difference. Make it a, it's a sustainable um, change. We want more powers from national government, not less, um, and that will ultimately will give us a, the responsibility and the, the ability to act. I think, I think that. Most business people get this. We need kind of to reconnect, in my view, the tremendous growth story of Manchester. Uh, maybe more so Manchester than Greater Manchester to some extent, with social justice. Because in the end, as businesses are seeing, you can't live as an isolated, atomized entity. And so I think there is this spirit in Greater Manchester that believes in social justice. You know, look at the history. Um, and I think that it's re really important that we start to have that debate. And I would say to you, it's great to celebrate the cranes in the sky, but don't celebrate them too much when there's people crowded sleeping in doorways in our great city and our conurbation. And finally, where can people find out more about the Mayor's Fund, the campaign, charters, plans, all the other stuff that's going on? And go onto the, um, the GMCA website to find out more about Andy's commitments on roof sleeping. It's just at the bottom of the page on the main page of the GMCA website. And streetsupport.net. Is the, is the online hub of the network and all of the funds and all the charities and organisations across the city region. Excellent. We're talking to Street Support for the next podcast. So um, thank you very much to Ivan and Beth. And we'll be continuing to focus on the vital sub this vital subject for the next couple of podcasts. If you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR. And we are available on all good podcast services. Until next time. Mm -hmm.